I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Well, hello there. I'm Richard Parr. That means you are listening to the best in the world with Richard Parr. Yes, every week I speak to an Olympic champion, a world champion, a world record holder, or a world number one to find out what they do differently from the rest of us average Joes or even the silver medalists. We want to know what makes a champion. What are those 1% different things that these people are doing to be the very best in their sports, the very best in their fields. This week, I speak to Philip Dutton. He's a two-time Olympic gold medalist in eventing, and we cover a whole range of topics with Philip on this week's program. In particular, we talk about how he went from competing for Australia to competing for America and why he made that decision. We also talk about his bond with his horses and the team around him and how he finds people to make a strong team, an Olympic winning team. We talk about all of his different Olympic experiences. Plus, we also talk about how he's able to attract sponsors. I think that's something we all have to think about in our everyday life, but also for athletes as well who are trying to just focus on being the very best. And we learn all of that with Philip Dustin on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. Just before I get to the conversation with Philip, I want to tell you about 99designs. 99designs helped design the Sportachino logo. Of course, the best in the world with Richard Parr is part of the Sportachino network. And I think if you've seen the Sportachino logo, you'll think, oh, it's actually pretty good. And 99designs could design a logo for you. They could design a website for you. They could design a flyer for you. Go and check them out. I'm going to put a link to it on this podcast. There's also a link to it on the resources page of sportachino.com. Go and check that out. And what they do is they offer it to talented freelancers all around the world. And if you don't like what they provide for you, then you can get your money back. Go and check it out, 99designs. Let me know what you think. It is a product that we have used here at Sportachino. All right, let's start our conversation with the two-time Olympic gold medalist. It's time to speak to Philip Dutton. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
Philip Dutton, welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr, two-time Olympic gold medalist in eventing. It's so great to have you on the program. Let's start from the very beginning, Philip. How did you first get involved with horses and horse riding and eventing? Well, I uh, grew up on a sheep and cattle farm in Australia in the outback, and uh, so horses were a part of my everyday life. Um, in you know, right from being a kid and being in pony club, but also, uh, you know, we used the horses to help with the work with the uh, sheep and cattle. So uh, as long as I can remember, I've been, you know, around horses and uh, riding them and uh, kind of eventing, uh, being sort of the all-round horse, horseman uh, sport, um, it was kind of a, a natural fit for me to um, drift towards that. Yeah, did, did you realize, at uh, what age do you think you realized that this was going to be your, your life, that you were going to try and compete um, at an Olympic level? Well, I mean, I, I certainly, I had always dreamed about that as a kid, uh, but I never ever thought I'd ever get to that level, you know. Uh, it's one thing dreaming about it, but then putting it into practice. And um, it wasn't until later on in life um, I after college, I went back and worked on the farm uh, with my family for a while. And, uh, you know, we went through a bit of a difficult economic time. And so in my uh, sort of mid-20s, I moved to America and left the farm and uh, decided to pursue my riding career full time. And uh, that's when I started to, you know, fully realize that, um, you know, there's a chance I could really, uh, you know, be at the top of the sport and uh, get to the Olympics then. Why America, Philip? Well, I wish I wish I had a you know a, a great answer for you that I'd research everywhere in the world. But uh, I think uh, you know somebody once said to me that for an hour worked any anywhere in the world, you'll get more reward for it in America, and that always uh, stuck with me. And uh, you know, so I'd always kept that in mind, and <clears throat> I didn't have any money to fund my career so I had to work as well and so um, I chose America with the idea that you know the most of the, the main big players in our sport are in England and Germany and so the idea being that I'd start in America and then possibly move on to um, to England afterwards but uh, 25 years later I'm still here <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh- I, I would say the, the the weather's nicer in America, but I'm not sure it's that much nicer in Pennsylvania. Is it? Is, is that where you're mainly based? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, our home is in Pennsylvania. My kids go to school here. We also have a farm in South Carolina. So during the winter months, uh, the horses move down there, and uh, so we temporarily um, <clears throat> live in the south uh, because it's a bit warmer and easier on the horses and uh, to be able to get what we need to get done um, rather than during the winter in Pennsylvania. Mm. Of course, your first gold medal was the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. Having been based in the, in the States for, for many years at that point, did that help at all? Yeah, it certainly didn't hurt. I mean, um, I was, kind of a bit of a nobody over here you know I hadn't been here that long and so I think that opened everybody's eyes up to um, you know somebody that well obviously I represented Australia then but I was based here and I did 
all my training here in the U.S. So, yes, that kind of put me on the map and um, gave me a good kickstart in, in this country. Mm. Uh, how was that first experience for you, Philip? Well, I mean, it's unbelievable to, uh, you know, like I said, as a young kid, I had obviously dreamed about going to the Olympics. And, you know, for for eventing, it's, it's not a big international sport like, you know, soccer or, uh, you know, baseball or whatever. And so for, for the eventing to be in the Olympics and to be broadcast throughout the world uh, is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, to be able to, obviously, the ultimate is to stand up there on the podium and, uh, you know, hear, hear your national anthem is, you know, it doesn't get any better in our sport. And, you know, just my family were <clears throat> at uh, home in Australia and they were all watching it live and, you know, to be able to call back uh, once, you know, just as soon as I got off the podium and call and talk to my parents and family, it was uh, really neat to become a, you know, a bit of a hero overnight, which was pretty cool. Mm. Were there any nerves? <laughs> yeah, there's always plenty of nerves. There's nothing wrong <laughs> with nerves as long as you, as long as you direct them in the right way. And uh, but uh, yeah, it seems such a long time ago. But uh, that was, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was a, a great, uh, great Olympics for this country as well. And uh, you know, it was obviously it was kind of down the road like 12 hours down the road from pennsylvania but it was it was like a a, a home olympics as well mm. is there anything that you know now that you wish you were able to tell philip dutton 20 years ago well i think uh you know i've always been driven and um you know desperate to to get to the next level and always trying to improve i probably would tell myself to slow down a bit because you know, a lot of times taking your time is the quickest way to get there. And uh, sometimes I think I've rushed things a little bit too much. But <clears throat> on the flip side of that, that's, I keep pushing myself, which um, I think uh, keeps you improving as well. Mm. Give us an idea then, Philip, of, of what your typical training day is these days when you say you've slowed things down. What, 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 what is a typical day in your life, actually, Philip? Well, when I talk about slowing down is as in not aiming, like not a steeper projection in, in how you're trying to get to the okay. goals with the horses. You know, maybe taking an extra six months to get there uh, rather than pushing things uh, but, uh, quite as much. But, um, well, my normal day is um, uh, usually get the kids to school and then start to ride after that and, um, you know, I'm in a situation where obviously we have to make a living as well. So, um, you know, I do a, a lot of teaching. And so generally I ride all my horses in the morning or um, the ones that I uh, am concentrating on that day. So that probably is um, anywhere from five to eight horses. Oh, wow. Um, and then usually I start to teach in the afternoons. Um, so around one o'clock I start to teach through till you know, about 4.30 probably. Um, but there's no real average day. Certainly, um, I compete every weekend usually from uh, February through till November. And uh, the horses, you know, they're not the same horses that compete each weekend. So, uh, so, for example, the horses that I rode 
last weekend uh, will not go out again for another couple of weeks, so they'll have a bit of an easier week, and I'm now concentrating on the horses that will be competing this weekend. And uh, so it's it's constantly a, a juggle of where you put your time and your energy and your priority that day. And That must take a lot of planning, Philip. Yeah, there's a lot of planning going into it. Uh, certainly the horses' careers, um, you know, uh, I'm sort of looking now at horses that, uh, you know, would, be in line for Tokyo and certainly it's a long way off and things change but you uh, you do have to plan ahead and um, you know that the, the competitions you want that be a great experience for the for the horse and uh, so you know you want to be prepared for it as well you don't want to take the horse there and uh, he you know is not really ready for what you you what the competition's asking him so yes there is a lot of planning going into it and um, uh, it takes a lot of a big teamwork as well you know like certainly I can ride the horse and that kind of stuff but there's the veterinary care there's the grooming care there's the people that own the horses and uh, you know so there's a lot goes into a mm. good performance Have you ever made the wrong decision on which horse to use for a certain uh, competition like have your emotions ever kind of uh, taken over from you from potentially there's one horse who might be better for one competition but you just feel you've got a better bond with another horse has that ever happened yeah you certainly you know in a way it's human nature you you bond a little bit better with some horses and um but i try to you know i can't think of an example where i wish i'd taken another horse but um, you know, each horse is an individual and each competition is individual. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> you never quite know how the competition is going to turn out as well. You know, for example, being an outdoor sport, if it rains, uh, you know, the, the cross country becomes a lot more difficult. Um, the, uh, you know, and uh, quite nobody, a lot of the, certainly when you go to the Olympics, nobody's ever jumped those, uh, the cross country before. So you can't, uh, you don't know what it's going to ride like and what, what horse would be more suited to it. So there is an element of, uh, <clears throat> you know, a little bit of luck in what horse you, you turn up there on the day. But generally, if they train well, good horse, they, they will adjust to um, the competition that you have. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Just going to pause the conversation with Philip Dutton for a moment because I want to tell you about Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. Yes, the world. Over 180,000 titles for you to choose from. It's a product I personally use. I've listened to lots of different audiobooks. Really enjoyed Boris Johnson's book about Winston Churchill. Also, really like listening to Yes by Daniel Bryan. I've got a few locked and loaded in my Audible app as well, ready to listen to. And you can too, for free. Yes, you can get one free audiobook download and that's part of a 30-day free trial. And all you've got to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best to check it out for free. Let me know how you get on with it. Send me a tweet at Richard underscore bar. I would love to hear from you. Go and try out Audible. All right, let's return to the conversation with the two-time Olympic champion in eventing, 
It's Philip Dutton. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, one of the questions I very often ask on this program, Philip, is about nutrition and uh, I, I'm, I am going to ask you about what's in your diet and if you have to keep strict on your diet but I'd also be interested because some of the the people I've had on the program have, have said oh in the last 20-25 years we've learned a lot more about nutrition what we can and what we can't eat can the same be said for horses has there been greater knowledge about what you can feed them to compete oh absolutely yes there's a lot of um a lot of research goes into feeding a horse and when to feed the horse, and uh, you know they're they're obviously a lot different to the humans the way they digest their food and uh, they're a, you know they originated they're a grazing um, animal uh, which means you know they don't have they're better off not having like three big meals they're better off having four or five smaller meals uh, because that's how their stomach. Um, <clears throat> adjusts and, and uh, breaks down the food better. Um, but yes, every horse is an individual and every horse reacts differently, just the same as we do. You know, some horses put on weight much easier, some are hard to get weight on. Um, you know, this is a whole big topic. Uh, stomach ulcers are uh, is something that we always <clears throat> keep track on and uh, fatigue. And, um, and there's, so there's lots of... Uh, Feed, different feed companies, special specialty feeds for different horses, and uh, you know the, the ration part of it is a huge part of getting good performance out of your horse. Mm, it sounds like you've got a lot to think about, Philip. You've got to think about when you're going to rest the horses, when you're going to make them compete, what you've got to feed them, and, and that's not even thinking about what you have to do. Uh, yeah, how do you find the the right people to help build that team? Because obviously, you must rely so much on them. Yes, and that's the you know the one of the keys. It's a bit like building a um, I guess like a team, or uh, you need to get people around you, and <clears throat> that you you can't really do that by just turning up and uh, you know hiring people. It takes years and years of um, you know getting the trust of somebody, and a lot of times it's better off starting with somebody a bit <clears throat> uh, inexperienced and 
um, you know, working together that way and, um, you know, teaching and um, helping that person, uh, you know, become what you want. And then the same as the people that own the horses, you know, that um, they've got to trust you that you're doing a good job every day and that you're, uh, you know, training the horse well and that you're making the right decisions. Um, and then you have farriers, the, the guys that put the shoes on the horses, and then you have the veterinarians. And so it's a, it is a complete team of uh, that uh, once you get to the competition, you know, I get to ride the horse, but uh, there's a whole team that gets you there. Speaking of riding horses, we know that you got another gold medal in, in 2000. How, how did that games compare to, to Atlanta for you? Well, uh, you know, to go back to Australia and go uh, there in Sydney um, was <clears throat> as, as good as it gets. I mean, I think everybody that I'd ever grown up with and knew uh, drove to Sydney or flew to Sydney to watch those Olympics. And so it was, it was kind of a reunion and uh, a celebration and... Uh, but obviously not not during it um and you know uh, australia pulled off a magnificent olympics there in sydney and so i was just proud to be australian as well to to be a part of it and then obviously for our team to win a gold medal um it was a incredible uh, incredible experience and something that that you know you can never forget anything like that you must be one of the few people, Philip, who have effectively had two home Olympics in a row um, <laughs> with Atlanta and Sydney. You, of course, then made the decision to represent the United States and, and, and you did that um, at the 2008 Games. What made you make that decision? Well, I mean, I, uh, you know, I'd been in America a long time and, you know, talking about the team that get you there to the competitions uh, all of the horses that I had were all American owned and you know they were all people that were supporting me but obviously uh, the the national anthem was the Australian national anthem that would play whenever um, you know I did well and so and added to that uh, you know my wife's American and we had uh, three kids as well and um, and I was <clears throat> very much a part of the eventing scene in America and um, I just felt that it was the right thing to do and it was a very hard decision to call my mum and dad and let them know that that's what I decided to do uh, but they 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 totally understood and took it well and you know it was very hard to talk to you know my coaches that had helped me with Australia for a long time but everybody was <clears throat> very understanding about it and uh, you know I think of taking it as good as could be expected. Mm. Oh well, that's good. And of course, you you do you are an important part of the, the eventing community. And I know you're a founding member of the uh, Eventer Riders Association of North America and a, a former president. What? Uh, how did that get started? And and what was the the thought behind it at the time? Well, uh, you know, traditionally the riding in this country, you know, has been you know more amateur based. Uh, you know basically guys or girls um, <clears throat> ride, you know, for a while after college and then sort of mum and dad maybe help pay for it and then they'd sort of uh, give up and then take on a, a um, 
more regular job afterwards. And now the sport's grown so much that there's, you know, people like myself in the sport that can keep going later on uh, in their careers and also make a living from it. And so the, it was it was felt that we needed a, a, a united voice uh, that we could have influence on the sport in in a positive way that uh, was coming from the riders and uh, riders' point of view and from a you know somebody who was in the sport and making a living from the sport as well. And not to say that we you know, had to change too much, but it was good to give a, a, uh, <clears throat> a another perspective um, when competitions have been run or decisions have been made or rule changes have been made. And it's also good to uh, for the riders to have an ally. If something was, you know, not done right, we could all band together and get behind that rider. So it was kind of just a, a support group for the riders and, uh, and to be able to contribute to the sport from a rider's point of view. Fantastic. And you mentioned when you went to the United States, you you didn't have much money and you were going to become professional. And when I looked on your website, you've got a big list of sponsors right now. And you were speaking about that with the uh, Riders Association there. Um, how difficult is it to attract sponsors? And is there anything in particular you, you do? Well, I mean, again, I think it's, it's over time. I mean, mm. I, I try to look look at it from a sponsor's point of view. What are they getting, you know, by uh, getting behind Philip Dutton or whether it's anybody else, you know, and so you have to come up with something that they will help them promote, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, having a sign on your truck or every time you get interviewed, you have their cap on or, you know, there's... And, different ways of doing it obviously the social media now is uh, huge and um you know the amount of followers you can get and which uh you know so there's all different ways but i think ultimately you've got to look at you know what you can do for them and how you can help promote their company or help their image or you know whatever i think that's the best way to look at it and obviously we're not a huge sport but now with uh you know live streaming and that kind of thing it, it you are there are opportunities where you can appeal to a, a much broader crowd rather than the people that just come in to uh, watch physically you know there's a lot of, a lot of people can watch the sport you know online or uh, whatever and so there is opportunities now to for companies or brands to to get behind uh, you know some riders that are normally wouldn't appeal to that bigger bigger audience well i hope you're not wearing a sponsored hat now as obviously this is an audio podcast <laughs> if you are do you want to give a shout out to the sponsor <laughs> yeah that's okay i mean there's a you know i think we're doing pretty well for them but uh, yeah i mean my longest serving one has been cosequin uh which is a joint supplement for humans and horses and uh, it's been a great great uh company for me because the, the product is so good so i'm always very proud to be a part of what they what they do and um, it's helped my horses along as well and me for that matter fantastic and of course they're sponsoring a man now who not only has olympic medals in team eventing but also an individual medal how did that feel when you won that bronze at the uh, rio games Yeah, so it was so rewarding, and uh, you know, to be quite honest, it was a little bit of a shock for us because, um, like I mentioned before, we didn't 
generally the Olympic Games, the cross country hasn't for the last probably you know four Olympics, the cross country hasn't played a major part in the uh, standings. You know, it, it has been a little bit easier, and so we were thinking that going into Rio, and generally we're thinking that as from a team point of view, we had more chance of getting a team medal than an individual medal. And, um, you know, as, as the stars lined up, um, the horse I took was an incredible cross country horse. And, um, you know, as it turned out, the cross country became a major part of the competition and actually, you know, really sorted out the, um, the final standings and uh, I was able to uh, I was I did a dressage test without being you know right up there and then after the cross country I moved way up the standings and so it was a, it was kind of a shock and our team the American team did not um, do that well so for part of the part of the uh, the Olympics there was some disappointment because as a team we weren't doing well and then um, on the final day of the competition, I was in fourth place, and then uh, you know I was, would have been on top of the world, to, and very excited and very um, happy to have ended up fourth. And then uh, after the final show jumping round, I moved up to third. So um, it was a big shock to me, and uh, uh, you know something that I was so proud of my horse as well, because Mighty Nice had been with me uh, for quite a long time, and uh, was a uh, you know, you talked, you touched on what, which horse is a favourite or what, and he's obviously been a favourite of mine. And um, he was owned by a dear friend who had passed away a year and a half before. So it was, it was kind of this fairy tale uh, uh, Olympics for me, anyway. Mm. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to wrap up this program because uh, I think that's a that's a lovely story and I think it's a great congratulations to you all for doing that um before we go Philip why don't you let us know how we can find out more about your farms and everything you do and we can continue to follow you on the internet and on social media please uh just go to philipdutton.com and uh you know you could uh, there'll be links there to um, my website and everything else that we need to get get as much information as you want there i think perfect well thank you for being on the program we've definitely learned a lot from you philip dutton thank you for being the best in the world thank you richard the best in the world podcast with richard parr Really good to speak to Philip over in the United States. We've also had another American eventer on the program before. Perhaps you want to go back and listen to the conversation with BZ Madden. I really enjoyed the chat with her. I've also spoken to another person from the world of equestrianism, Lucinda Fredericks. They're all at acast.com forward slash best. And they're obviously all at iTunes as well. And if you haven't already, please press that subscribe button. It really means a lot to me. And give me a rating and review. I would love it if you could just spend a few moments doing that. And we've had so many great guests on the program. There might be other stars that you wish to learn from who might not necessarily be in the sports that you particularly like. Uh, Someone I'm thinking of off the top of my head could be the triathlon Olympic champion, Emma Snowsill. Maybe the track cycling champion, Callum Skinner. We've also spoken to Connor Fields, the BMX Olympic champion. You might remember him from the Rio Games. 
I also enjoyed the chat with the rowing Olympic champion, Matt Langridge. They're all on the best in the world with Richard Park. Go and check them out. Press that subscription button on iTunes. I would really appreciate it if you would do that. All right, next week, we're going to learn from another Olympic champion, world champion, world record holder, or world number one, because that's what we do. We want to get a little bit smarter by learning from the very best. All right, I've been Richard Park. You've been listening to the best in the world, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.